Good morning, everyone. It's a sincere privilege to share God's word with you today. Today's reading is from the book of Mark, chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on the rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown in the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Welcome to Disciples Church. It is so good to see you. It is good to have you with us and appreciate you coming out. Um, Also appreciate those who stayed home. We'll be praying for them. Um, Understand that there are some people who want to stay away, uh, taking precautions, maybe not feeling well, those sorts of things. And so we'll be keeping them in our prayers uh, throughout the course of this morning. But it is good to see you. In fact, we were just, um, before we started service, we um, we we were back here praying. And, uh, and Dave had just mentioned in passing what a sweet thing it is to be with brothers and sisters in times of uncertainty. And so we're thankful that we get to be here. We're thankful that we get to open the word together. Uh, and welcome to Disciples Church. My name is Jonathan Mosier, by the way, if you're with us uh, for the first time. We're so glad that you're here. And would encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. 
about 10 years ago, uh, I had the opportunity to take a fishing trip with my dad and my brothers out to Wyoming. And so um, we went out to, to a place that my dad knew of. My dad's from Wyoming originally, and we camped out at about 10,000 feet, and then we'd go up a little higher into the mountains each day uh, to do some fishing. And it was one of the most unique experiences of my life for, for a lot of reasons. One, I'm not a natural outdoorsman. Uh, I know that's a shock to all of you. Um, you know, books are my friends and those sorts of things. So, so being outside in an environment like that was just very different for me, being away from civilization uh, writ large and, and away from accessible showers and all those kinds of things, all of that was brand new to me. And so um, for about a week, we were able to spend time in the mountains going from stream to stream and doing fishing and getting to do all of this stuff that was just so fun and so outside of my experience and, and my, my normal, uh, what I've normally experienced in my life. And, and after about a week of that, of being away from showers and handling fish and, and tromping through the woods and ending the day just exhausted because you're not used to the altitude. After about a week of that, I remember uh, we were driving back from Wyoming into Denver. We were flying out of Denver to come back home. And I remember we stopped at a restroom, or stopped at, rather at a gas station, and I went in to use the restroom, and as I looked at myself in the mirror, it was the first time that I had gotten a good look at myself in about a week. And my hair was a mess, and my clothes were disheveled, and I probably didn't smell the greatest. And I remember very distinctly having a streak of dirt down my face. And I don't know how long it had been there. I thought I had been cleaning fairly regularly in the stream, but how clean can you get when you're using a stream uh, to wash off? And I just remember looking in the mirror and going, whoa, someone has to sit next to this on a plane. That's just brutal. And, and I remember thinking in the moment, man, I'm so glad I stopped and saw myself. And as I look back on it, it was such an invaluable thing. To be able to have that mirror in the moment was such an invaluable gift because it showed me what I actually looked like. It revealed to me in that moment who I actually was. And the truth was, nothing had changed in the moments, uh, from the moments before I was able to see myself in the mirror to the moments immediately after, except that I became aware. And that is the same purpose that Mark has for us in the text that we read today. It's really the whole purpose of Mark recording this book for us. It's to show the reader the reality of Christ, that you would come face to face with Jesus. That by virtue of the gospel light being shown onto your, light, onto your life, you would see who you really are and what your deepest needs are. And we've already seen some of the reactions that people had to Jesus throughout this text. I mean, we saw the response of the Pharisees and Herodians, where upon hearing the call to repent and believe, grew angry and violent, and began immediately plotting the murder of Jesus Christ. We saw the reaction of the crowds that flocked to him, but ultimately coming only for the personal benefit that they could receive from him. And last week, we talked about the fact that his own family tried to stop him. In fact, the language that Mark records for us here is that Jesus' own family thought he was out of his mind. And by the way, just as an aside, as Dave and I were talking this last week um, about that portion of text, what I love about Scripture over and over again is that unlike a piece of propaganda that is trying to sell you on a particular position that you should take, the Bible is never afraid to include those asides, things like Jesus' own family thinking he was crazy in that moment. And so Jesus' family so so aggravated by his behavior, actually tries to go out and physically restrain him from what God had called him to do. 
And the lesson, of course, that we learn from that and the lesson we're going to learn this morning is that proximity to the gospel does not equal participation in the gospel. And finally, we see the reaction of the disciples who left everything to be with him. That they just wanted more and more Jesus to experience him, to encounter him, to know him. And so continuing on from what, we, uh, from what we read earlier in the last chapter, the crowd had grown so large that Jesus had instructed his disciples to go prepare a boat, to get a small boat ready in case the crowds grew overwhelming. The crowds had grown overwhelming at this point, and so we find Jesus preaching from a boat. He's, he, he's launching into this diatribe, the story that Jim just read for us, and in doing so, what he's beginning to do is sift the ranks of those who had gathered. All of these people had gathered to see him perform miracles and to hear his teaching and to see the amazing Jesus and what it was that he was able to do. And now in this moment, Jesus begins to preach in a way that we have not seen him preach in this book up until this point. He starts by telling a story. It's a very simple story. It's a story of a farmer who goes out and begins distributing seed in his field and the response of the four different types of soil that he finds as he's distributing these seeds. And after Jesus and the disciples walk away from the crowds, the disciples, finally alone with him, begin to ask him, what is it that you meant? We find that exchange in verse 10. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And Jesus said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, that is the gospel. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven." Now that phrase is an unusual one and commentators have different perspectives on what exactly is being conveyed through Jesus' statement. But Jesus here is actually paraphrasing the teaching of the prophet Isaiah and and, and there's a couple different perspectives but there's two that I want to share with you today. One is that what Jesus intended by using this phrase uh, that he was teaching in parables so that they may indeed see but not perceive and hear but not understand is that he's specifically referencing the Pharisees. That there were these people who had already been exposed to the gospel. They'd already heard the call to repent and believe. They'd already seen Jesus in action. And what Jesus was saying is, because they intend to kill and murder me, I don't want to give them cause to do so just in this moment. So I'm going to speak in these parables so that true believers, people who really know me, will understand what I mean while the Pharisees don't. That's one perspective. And the second perspective, which I'm personally sympathetic towards, is summed up well. Uh, by a particular commentator with the last name Plummer. And here's what Plummer writes. He says, This judgment of Jesus is a merciful one. The parable with the cold-hearted multitudes here without understanding, they remember. Because of its penetrating and impressive form, and when their hearts become able to receive its meaning, the meaning will become clear to them. Meanwhile, they are saved from the guilt of rejecting plain truth. In other words, in this commentator's opinion, and it's an opinion that I share, Jesus is speaking in parables because he knows that there are all kinds of people who are going to hear the call of this story but have no idea how to respond to it. 
Their hearts had not yet been enlightened. They didn't understand the entirety of the gospel. They weren't quite sure what to make of it. And so Jesus is actually demonstrating a mercy by speaking to them in a way that was somewhat clouded. But thankfully for us, in verse 13, we see Jesus' response recorded for us. And he said unto them, that's the disciples, do you understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? In other words, Jesus is saying the story that I just gave is foundational for all of the other parables I'm going to give. And in his grace, Jesus does something that he doesn't always do. He explains the story for us. And so what I want to do is look at the story and then the counterpart explanation. So look first at verse 3. Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. And then jump to verse 14, the explanation. The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. So Jesus here is presented as the great sower. He's distributing the seed. He's giving the word of the gospel out to people. And so the way that farmers would do this at this time is they'd walk through their fields with a bag of seed on their hip and they'd reach into that bag and they'd cast it out into the field and And so occasionally what would happen as they came across a pathway is some of that seed would would spill over the field into the path. That's what Jesus is describing here. And in telling the story, he says, the birds immediately come and eat the seed. Jesus here is describing people who had heard the message of the gospel. And at this time specifically, they had heard the message that the kingdom of God was at hand in Jesus Christ. That God was actually with them. And their response was either indifference or rejection. Now think about this. These are people who are not necessarily angry or anti-religious zealots. I mean, we know that some of these people were in fact very religious because they were the Pharisees. And in hearing the message of the kingdom of God being at hand, the response that they immediately gave in that moment is, this is not for me. And Jesus is describing this as Satan stealing away the word that had been sown. Do you understand that there is a very real battle going on for your soul? Do you understand that when we talk about spiritual warfare, that we're not just using analogies, but that in a very real sense, there is a war going on. A war that determines your destiny. And it's tragic when someone hears the word and does not understand it. Now let me be clear about what I mean when I say that, because there are all kinds of things in the Bible that are really hard to understand. And again, in God's grace, he records that for us, right? Do you ever read in 2 Peter, I think it's chapter 4, where Peter writes uh, about the Apostle Paul, and he says, I'm not sure if you've read the writings of Paul, but he writes really difficult to understand things. And we have to work through them, we have to wrestle through them in order to understand them. So understand, there are things in the course of the normal Christian life There are concepts and texts that are incredibly difficult to understand where we have to work and learn and grow in them. But Jesus here is describing people who hear the clarity of the gospel and walk away. Where they express no interest in the things of God. 
no concern for the divine, and ultimately no care for their own soul. These are people who do not know Jesus and have walked away. Now notice what it says in verse 5. Here's the second type of soil. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. And now the explanation in verse 16. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arise on account of the word, they immediately fall away. This is a very different type of person because notice the language he uses to describe this person. He says not only do they receive the word, but they receive it with joy. This person hears the gospel and not only embraces it, but they embrace it with great joy. There's an ecstatic emotional response from the heart of this person to the hearing of God's word. But when difficulty rises up, when pain and suffering when the brokenness of life begins to be felt, they realize that they have no root at all. I've encountered individuals who've had experiences like this more times than I wish to recount, but I think of one woman in particular really early on in ministry and had conversations with her about the gospel and she'd heard the gospel and she just embraced the gospel seemingly. She embraced it wholeheartedly. She immediately wanted to be baptized. She immediately wanted to jump into ministry. She was looking for every opportunity of service that she could possibly find within the context of the church. She was inviting friends. She was doing everything that would indicate that there was a true experience of the gospel in, his, in her heart. And then she received a diagnosis of cancer an incredibly painful, difficult diagnosis for anyone to receive. And I remember meeting with her and talking with her, and, and it became apparent very, very quickly that despite my efforts and Jessica's efforts and the efforts of the church to come along and support and encourage and help and love, that she was beginning to drift until she embraced something wholly different than Christianity. And I remember going with her for a final conversation and just pleading with her, and her response was, coldly, I just can't imagine a loving God would allow me to experience this. And I've seen this play out in dozens of ways. People who upon making a profession of faith receive the heckling and criticism of friends or family and just as quickly as they seem to come to Christ, they walked away from him. Individuals who made a profession of faith and now faced with the decision of staying with a boyfriend or a girlfriend who did not want Jesus Christ, instead of finding comfort in the perfect love of the Father, they ran to the cold embrace of a person who could never satisfy. And in most of those cases, their expectations were that by virtue of their enthusiastic response, they would walk through the remainder of their life unscathed, despite all the biblical evidence to the contrary. 
I mean, we worship a Savior who was tortured and murdered on a cross. Peter, whose life is accounted for in the book of Mark, ended up being crucified upside down on a cross. John was boiled alive in exile. The very first deacon of the church was stoned to death, literally pushed to the bottom of a pit and had boulders thrown onto his body until he was beaten to death. Paul is beaten, left for dead, shipwrecked twice, in and out of prison. And please hear me when I say this. I realize there are some in this room who have experienced incredible pain and difficulty in your life. And the point of me mentioning these examples is not to tell you to buck up or that you don't have it that bad. I mean, we are invited to weep with those who weep, to mourn with those who mourn, to pray over those who are sick, to bring comfort to the suffering. We're told that Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We ought to feel and mourn the loss that we experience in this world. But Paul presents the true Christian experience in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8, when he writes this, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We are struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. So here's what he's saying. We feel the affliction, the brokenness of this world. That's a true and real experience, but it does not crush us. We are perplexed, frustrated, maybe even angry at times but we are not driven to despair. We are persecuted, as countless brothers and sisters around the world can give account to today, but not forsaken. The reminder in that portion that God is still with you in that. We are struck down, but not destroyed. Why is all this happening? So that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies, that God ultimately might receive glory through what's happening. But he doesn't stop there, because here's what he says in verse 11 of 2 Corinthians 4. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Verse 12. So death is at work in us, but life in you. And do you understand the beautiful juxtaposition of what he just said in verse 12? He's saying, in a very real sense, you are experiencing death. You're experiencing the torment of sin in this world. But the reason we hold on to hope is not just because God is receiving glory, although that would be enough. But it's also because in the middle of experiencing that death, the infinite power of eternal life is even more profoundly at work and being demonstrated in your life. And none of that is possible, according to Jesus' parable, unless you are rooted. But there's another warning, verse seven. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain, verse 18. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. 
Now, I don't know if you've ever been choked out. I have not. But I've watched enough MMA to know how that works. And when someone's choked out, at least in, in jiu-jitsu or in MMA, um, it is not an instantaneous process. This is not like being knocked out where one moment you're conscious and, conscious and the next moment you're unconscious. It takes time for blood to stop carrying oxygen to the brain. It is a slow drift into unconsciousness. And I've actually heard uh, UFC fighters describe the process of what it feels like when you get choked out. And what they've said over and over is, they said, it actually doesn't hurt. What happens is you start to get lightheaded and then you just slowly fall asleep. And I think in some sense or another, not to twist this metaphor too much, but I think in some sense or another, this is what Jesus is trying to communicate in this passage That's the picture of this illustration, that you entered into faith, that you believed in Christ, that you showed signs of life, that you showed signs of growth, but slowly, ever so slowly, your affections begin to drift until you are spiritually unconscious. Look at the three things that he describes, the allure of money. Certainly, some of us have felt that over the last couple of weeks. As you've seen your 401k begin to decline, and your investments begin to slow down or decrease. The cares of this world, for some of us, maybe no more in our entire life have we begun to feel the cares of this world until the last couple of weeks. It's not even just the negative things, it's the alluring call of the pleasures of this world and the desire for other things. And what happens is when these things start to appear more attractive and enticing and fulfilling even than Jesus. And the really insipid thing about those desires is that the more that you indulge them and that the more you pursue them, the more the light of the gospel goes dim to you until you find yourself in darkness. See, this is a warning to the one who wants to find happiness in wealth or control, in comfort or entertainment, in temporary satisfaction. And here's what's so dangerous about it this for us, especially for us in the West. See, money and creature comforts and earthly pleasures, those things are not inherently bad. In fact, we're told that they are good gifts to enjoy. They are tools to be used for the kingdom. But the trouble is when you look to those things to provide what only Christ can provide. And when you do so, it is a slow drift away from Christ until, like the soil, you find yourself barren. And finally, in verse 8, And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain. Verse 20. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. These are the lives where the gospel has taken hold, where it begins to grow and bloom and replicate, where the power of the seed releases and takes over. With some, some friends of ours, a couple who uh, 
probably at this point two decades ago, had gotten um, a raspberry bush, just a really small raspberry bush, and they'd put it in their backyard. And for whatever reason, the conditions of their particular backyard are just right, or maybe it's the conditions of raspberry bushes. I don't really know anything about that, but whatever it was that happened, I mean, this thing just began to grow and grow and grow and expand and start to take over the yard. And so now when you go to visit these people, they're the people who are going to give you a bucket of raspberries when you go to leave, your, leave their house as if it's a party favor. It's that kind of replication and growth. It's just this multitudinous uh, expansion and growth, exponential. And that's the kind of growth that Jesus is picturing in this text. And so the question becomes this, how does that happen? How is it that the seed can make that much difference in this life as compared to the other lives? See, the way the power of the seed is released into your life is by taking in the word of God, the gospel of God, and listening and thinking, reflecting, discussing, and applying it over and over again. It is working it deep into the soil of your heart, as we sang about earlier. And the beauty of this illustration, I think, is really found in something else that Jesus said. In John chapter 12, Jesus foretells his own death, and so he's speaking to the disciples, and here's what he says to them. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. In the days before Jesus went to the cross, he experienced unimaginable hardship. We see pictures of him in the Garden of Gethsemane, weeping, and the Bible even reports sweating as if it were great drops of blood. Here's a man who is in emotional and mental and psychological agony. Anticipating what is about to come next in his life. And what he was about to experience was the most brutal death that we can imagine. Torture after torture after torture culminating in his own crucifixion where you died ultimately not by the loss of blood but asphyxiation by not being able to hold yourself up on the cross any longer. And yet as Jesus faced his certain death, his words to the disciples in verse 27 of John chapter 12 is this, now my soul is troubled admitting the pain and the experience that he was going through, my soul is troubled And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. You see, in order for the seed of the gospel to be planted in our hearts, it meant that Jesus himself, the source of life and the source of power, first had to die. And he went willingly to his death on our behalf. See, if we begin to understand the profound nature of Jesus' work on your behalf, it plants a seed so deep that Satan cannot snatch it away.
And if you see the brutality and the mistreatment that Jesus Christ endured on your behalf, it gives strength and life when the heat of difficulty, suffering, difficulty and suffering threatens to destroy you. And if you see the beauty in his purposeful weakness, it will outshine all the temptations and distractions of this life. The death of Christ releases the power of the gospel in us. And his resurrection, which we'll celebrate in a few weeks, creates new and vital life within us so that we can withstand and endure and thrive and multiply. So the question facing us this morning is this, what type of soil describes you best? Which one has typified your response to the gospel? Which one reveals the inclinations and the temptations of your heart? Brother and sister, my prayer for us this morning is that as we hear this passage, we would hear it both as a warning and an invitation. Allow it to be the mirror that it was intended to be. And in looking to the life and death and life of Christ, be reminded of the power and the beauty and the wonder of the gospel that it provides. And respond then by God's grace to the picture that it reveals. That's the invitation Jesus is extending to us when he says, he who has ears, let him hear. May God do the work of revealing the intents and purposes and desires of our soul, our inclinations and proclivities our fears and our doubts so that we may find our answer in the deep-seated root of the gospel which he died and resurrected to provide. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for texts that reveal our own soul to us. And we thank you that in your grace and in your goodness, in this instance, you did not not just give us the story with no explanation, but knowing that we needed to hear it, you explained what you meant. Father, I pray that as you do the work of calling in the hearts and the lives of men and women, that your spirit would faithfully reveal to us, to us who we are, what our deepest needs are, and how it is ultimately Jesus Christ alone that can fulfill them. Keep us from shipwreck. Keep us from abandonment. And God, we pray that in both desperation and in confidence. That he who began a work in you will be faithful to bring it to completion. That the same God who justifies sanctifies, that the same God who sanctifies glorifies. That beginning to end 
the process of our salvation is one that you initiate and carry through. And so help us then to be faithful in response. God, we trust you. We love you. Reveal the gospel to us. Allow us to see our heart in new lights in this morning. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.